0: a child out of wedlock is pretty much a valid lifestyle choice in many cultures. Now, I'm not saying that it's right, just that that's how it's perceived. But back in Jesus' day, man, it was a huge scandal. Seriously. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're kicking off the next message in a series called Message in a Bottle and yeah, we're going to take a look at some of the scandal that surrounded the conception and birth of the Son of God. So let's head into God's Word and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about a free booklet called The Best of 2018 that I'd love to send you to help you experience the amazing love that God poured out on us through that very first Christmas. Well, here we are hurtling towards Christmas. You know, it's interesting when you look at the candy cane. You know, that simple little cane with the the white and then the three small stripes and the big stripe, and we think of it as a candy cane. But the confectioner who first created it didn't create it as a candy cane. He created it as a J for Jesus and the white was there to symbolize the holiness of God and the three small stripes were there to symbolize the stripes on his back when he was beaten and the one thick stripe, the red stripe, was there to symbolize the blood of Jesus. Isn't it funny how we take symbols to do with Christmas and a whole bunch of other things and we change their meaning, we reinterpret them and I think it's really true of this thing that we call Christmas. You know, as I look at my four years studying at Bible College, the most profound thing that I learned was this, that the theologians, and I class myself as one of those, we love to take the stories of God in the Bible and snip them up and put them in little piles, which we call doctrines. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine of incarnation. And so we think, wow, you know, I've sorted out God. I've got him in little piles. I have a systematic theology, and now I understand God. Well, in a sense that's good, because it's good to know what we believe and why we believe it and look at the whole counsel of God in his word. But you know something? If that's all we do, I think maybe we miss the point. Because God's chosen way of revealing himself to us, is mostly through stories. Stories throughout history of his engagement with his chosen people, Israel, and then in the New Testament, stories of his new promise, stories of his grace as the church grew out of a revelation of God through Jesus Christ. God speaks to us through his story in history. And to me, that's the most profound (laughs) insight that I got after four years of Bible college. And nowhere is that more true than in Jesus. John, in his gospel, calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is God talking to us, saying, this is what I'm like. Jesus is a message in a bottle. And Jesus is unique. He's the only person in history as the Son of God, who could have chosen the place, the time, and the circumstances of his birth. Let's just think about that for a minute. It's true, isn't it? If Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, he is the only person in history that could have chosen the circumstances of his birth. Well, if that's true, if it was a deliberate choice, what is God saying to us about himself through the manner in which Jesus came into the world, through this story that we now call Christmas? See, it's not some neat doctrine. It's not some neat theology of the Incarnation. We learn about Christmas through the stories of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And I guess, in a sense, many of us know them backwards. But Matthew begins, after the great long genealogy that we looked at the other week, Matthew now begins with this story. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it. We're going to Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. says this, Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. So, in other words, here's the story. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he decided to do that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from God the Holy Spirit. She will bear you a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. So here's Mary, pregnant from the Holy Spirit. How? Well, Luke tells us that the angel appeared to her and said, Fear not! Ever seen a Christmas card with fear not plastered across the front? Not really. So how do you think? Mary felt, she, she gets spoken to by an angel, she gets told not to be afraid, you're going to be pregnant because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to make you pregnant. Now, how do you think it went when Mary told Joseph? Here's this single teenage girl from this place called Nazareth, nowheresville, and she wanders in with her belly swollen, and she says to her fiancé, Well, Joe, it's like this. I didn't sleep with anyone. God did this. Wow. Would you believe her? Joseph didn't. He planned to dismiss her quietly. Because this was a society where getting pregnant out of wedlock was a disgraceful thing. I mean, the Hebrew law commanded the women who were caught in adultery be stoned to death. So the social context was that it wasn't a lifestyle choice. It was something that you stoned someone to death for. But Joseph has a dream. Remember, he doesn't have a New Testament. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He has this subjective thing called a dream. And even if it were true, what incredible pain. How many times would Mary have gone over the angel's words? How many times do you think Joseph would be second-guessing his dream. How breathtakingly reckless was God to allow the whole future of humanity to hang on the responses of these two poorly educated, hapless, rural teenagers. I mean, we know him as Lord, the Christ, the Son of God, but his parents and family friends, Mary's little illegitimate baby, the, the bastard, the stigma. Yet that's what Jesus chose for himself. That's why I've called this message the illegitimate God. You and I, we read this story of Christmas with with a sense of wonder and awe, and we know how it ended. Them, back then and there, well, for them, it it was a scandal. It, It was a fantasy. It was, is God really doing this? I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. Christmas was and is all about God drawing close to us. God coming to live amongst the lost to bring us home. It's all about the shepherd heart of God and it's a message that we need to celebrate not just here in December, but the whole year round. Throughout this year, Quite literally millions of people around the globe have watched, listened to and read Christianity Works Bible teaching messages day after day in something like 160 countries. And amongst all that, there have been certain messages that have stood out. That's why, as a special Christmas gift to you, I'd love to send you a free copy of the booklet, The Best of 2018. My prayer is that it'll be a mighty blessing to you to help you draw even closer to God this Christmas. To request your free copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on one 722 415 and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at christianityworks.com or toll-free on one 722 415 So here we are looking at this story of Christmas. Firstly, the way that, that this baby was conceived This sense of scandal that would have followed him around when he was a little child. But then he was born into this brutal political climate. Let's read on the story, this this space and time and situation that God chose for his son to be born into. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is this child that's been born the king of the Jews? Because we observed his star at its rising, and we've come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them, where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least amongst the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who is to be the shepherd of his people, Israel. And the story goes on, that Herod secretly called for the wise men, and he told them, go and find this Jesus and come and tell me, because he wanted to kill Jesus. We look at the politics of Palestine and Israel today. The mess, there seems to be no solution. They just keep shooting each other and blowing each other up. Back then wasn't much different. You had a brutal Roman Empire. And the Roman Emperor ruled over a whole bunch of countries, including this little country called Israel. And under him you had... A despot, a Herodian king. I mean, this Herodian dynasty, we, we know about Herod. They were sort of half-breeds and they were illegitimate and they were in cahoots with the Romans. Together they oppressed the people. The religious leaders were part of all of that. And there was this sense of hopelessness amongst the people. It was every bit as messy then as it is today. And into this malaise is born Jesus, the Son of God. And then these wise men, these magi. A magi was an astrologer, a soothsayer. I mean, all of this was forbidden in the Old Testament. People who worshipped the stars were to be stoned to death. And they came from where? From the east. From Babylon. You know, 80 kilometers south of, of what today is Baghdad. And, and remember, Babylon was a place of horror and evil for first century Israelites because that's where in 587 and 586 BC they were exiled into slavery. So God invites the Magi, these astrologers from hell, to come to the birth of his son and to worship him. If you and I were God, would we have invited them? Oh, I don't think so. And yet God doesn't just invite them, but how does he go and get them from Babylon to Bethlehem? Does he send them a prophet? Does he send them John the Baptist? Does he send them a letter? Does he send them the scriptures? doesn't do any of those. He sends them a star. You see, God chooses a symbol that they can understand. And follow and brings them to worship this child. Babylon, who once destroyed the temple and exiled the chosen people, are now worshiping the true God. God may well have hated their sin, but He loved them so much more than He hated their sin. And then one night in a dream, if you flick over the page to Matthew chapter 2, beginning as verse 13. Joseph has another dream. It says this, Now after the magi had left, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. See, here we go again. Joseph's having another dream. This subjective thing, it's not like he sits down and he reads the New Testament, he reads the Old Testament, and God speaks to him through his word. No, God spoke to Joseph through a dream. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus all became refugees. They had no rights, they had no land, they had no possession, they were fleeing for their lives There are 32.9 million refugees in the world today. That's grown by almost 50% in just 12 months. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes a refugee. How long? What will they live on? Where do they live? Where would they go? Would they be safe? They had to endure hardship for the first few years of his little life. Would you or I, if we were God, have put... Our son through this. And you read on in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. This massacre of the infants. Have you ever seen a Christmas card about the massacre of the infants? See, we we turn Christmas into this little pantomime. But the birth of Jesus into this world, the time when God stepped into this world and became man, was a brutal time. It was a tough time, and it was a time that God chose for his son. Today we see suicide bombers in the Middle East and, and the shelling of targets and the shooting by snipers. Imagine if you added to that the slaughter of all the children under two in and around Bethlehem. You don't see that on a Christmas card, do you? What was God thinking by sending his son into such a mess? I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. I have something special to share with you, an invitation, if you will. I know that perhaps this year hasn't been all that you would have wanted it to be and perhaps you're looking ahead to the next year with more of a sense of trepidation and anticipation. You wouldn't be alone. That's why I'd love to share a short word of inspiration, hope and encouragement with you each and every day through our free daily e-devotional, Fresh. It's delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. You can read it, listen to the audio or watch the daily video. It's completely up to you a short daily devotional to take you closer to God by getting deeper in His Word. It's God's Word, fresh for you each day. And it's completely free. To get instant access, just stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.com. And then, of course, after they returned from Egypt, Jesus and his family moved to Nazareth. You can read it in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are now dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. He would be called a Nazarene. God allowed, indeed constructed the circumstances so that the Son of God would grow up in the back blocks of nowhere in Nazareth. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? And he became a carpenter, not a king, not the head of theology at Jerusalem Seminary, not the chief grand whatever in the synagogue or the temple, a lowly carpenter. So what do we learn about God? If God chose the circumstances into which Jesus would be born, if he chose these two young teenagers, if he chose the stable in Bethlehem, if he chose Herod and the persecution and the flight, what does that tell us about God? If Jesus came to reveal God to us, what do we learn about God from the first Christmas? When you read through the Old Testament about God, you see his sovereignty, his power, his hugeness, his transcendence. Isaiah says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see who created all these stars. See, God is great. Here at Christmas, we see, we see this greatness reduced to the size of a single fertilized egg, not even visible to the human eye. Born in a stable with a stench of cow dung and urine on the floor, hunted down a refugee, the the massacre of these infants around him, and then slinking back to Nazareth to eke out an ignominious existence as a carpenter, relying on two uneducated teenage bumpkins for safety and nurture, with always the hint of scandal, Mary's little illegitimate child. Well may God be great. But hang on a minute, when you look at Christmas, my God is also small. My God is also humble. If you look at this this theological doctrine of incarnation, Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's different to us, yet he's the same as us. But if we really ask ourselves the question, we would mostly conclude that Jesus was fundamentally different from you and me. But like Luther, I believe that if we are even to begin to understand what God is saying in Jesus, we have to draw the conclusion that Jesus is God deep graven into the flesh. Like the candy cane, on the one hand white and pure and blameless and different, but with a red stripe, with the blood, suffering like us. He lived, he suffered, he cried, he struggled like us. That's the point of Christmas. It's the point of Jesus being born into these these brutal circumstances in such humble surrounds. This is God saying, Jesus is like us. We can have the best doctrine of the incarnation and completely miss the point. God is humble. He shows us that in a profound way at Christmas. He chose the time. He chose the circumstances. He chose the stable and the animals in it. He connects with us. That's why Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And later, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you, that in me you might have peace, for in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What a contradiction. God, the sovereign God, who created all the universe, through Jesus, all things that were created, were in fact created. And yet, He calls himself humble. He makes himself low at Christmas time. But then everything about Jesus is a contradiction. On the one hand, he's the lion of Judah, on the other hand, he's the lamb of God. When I look at the Christmas story, just the way it is, just plain and simple, look at the circumstances that Jesus was born into. You know what I see? I see something that rings true, I see an authenticity. I see a Jesus who comes humbly into this world and then says, come to me because I'm gentle, I'm I'm humble of heart. I see a Jesus who was prepared to be a refugee, who was prepared to be under threat of death. It's an amazing thing, Christmas. And, and, you know, if we just look at it as a pantomime, if we just sing the wonderful little songs and, and still look at it as children, I think we miss the point. God chose an amazing time for Jesus to be born. And we look at Christmas by knowing how it all ended up. We've read the whole New Testament. We have the benefit of knowing that he died and rose again and the church grew up out of that and 2,000 years on, you know, we're living the life. So we look back at Christmas through a whole bunch of history and stuff that those people at that time simply didn't have Philip Yancey sums it up this way I love what he says this is what he writes he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation an apostle would later write he is before all things and in him all things hold together but the few eyewitnesses on Christmas night saw none of those things they saw an infant struggling to work never before used lungs it's the story of a God who steps out of heaven powerful, transcendent able to choose anything he wants. He chooses Mary and Joseph. He chooses a stable. He chooses for his son to become a refugee. He chooses for his son to grow up in Nazareth as a carpenter. God speaks to us through this Christmas story. God went to extraordinary lengths. God went to extraordinary lengths to say this, I am humble of heart. I have come to be one of you. I have come to walk in your shoes, in your skin, to experience all the things that you experience. It's the message of Christmas. A God who reaches out in the most amazing way, in the most startling way, in a way that we would never have done if we were God, and speaks to us his love and his desire to have a relationship with us. That, is what Christmas is about. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. Over this Christmas and New Year period, through this weekly program on both radio and television, millions of people in 160 countries around the world will hear the Christmas message, the good news of the coming of Jesus into our midst. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. You know, each dollar that you give to support Christianity Works Christmas Appeal today will help reach over 2,500 people with the powerful message of Christmas. So a gift of, say, $50 can touch over 125,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today to help us proclaim this Christmas message around the globe. You can do that right now securely online by visiting our mobile-friendly website christianityworks.com or giving us a call on 1-300-722-415. That's online at christianityworks.com or toll-free on one 722 415 Hey, thanks so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond, and I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us. In Jesus Christ.